0: Amen. Listen to or follow along with the story found in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This morning, listen or follow along as I read from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This is what the writer tells us. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro... The priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel, or messenger in Hebrew, of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. More specifically, a thorn bush. A thorn bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord, when Yahweh saw that he, Moses, turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses. Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look at God. Now, if someone were to ask you, why does this story matter? Sounds interesting. Pretty cool. But why does it matter? How would you respond? How would you respond to that question? Why does it matter? Let me suggest two reasons that this story matters. Okay? Two reasons that this story matters. First of all, this story matters because it represents, it depicts the commissioning of Moses. This is it. This is where it starts. This is the commissioning of Moses. The one person, the one human that is, who will dominate the rest of the Pentateuch. Pentateuch means five books. The first five books of the Bible, often called the books of Moses. He will dominate this narrative from here on out. And what God begins here with Moses marks the beginning of one of the most pivotal and foundational events in the history of God's people. It's probably hard to overstate how foundational this is for the rest of the Old Testament and for the identity of the Hebrew people, even today the Jewish people. Very foundational, absolutely pivotal, absolutely critical. So if we were to continue reading through Exodus chapter 3, we would also discover that God's revelation here to Moses, it also marks, it represents a new phase of God's revelation to all mankind. And we don't have time to really get into that this morning deep, deep in depth, but that's what we see when we take this in light of the context of the entire Old Testament. We'll talk more about this in just a few minutes. But there's another way that we could provide uh, an answer. To, we could respond to someone who asked, why does this story matter? Yes, it matters because it's the commissioning of Moses. It's the beginning of an amazing work, a, a foundational work in the Old Testament. I think we could also say that second... The story matters because it tells us important things about when God meets with and speaks to his servants. Kind of a generic application, right? Just thinking in broad, broad terms. This tells us important things about when God meets with and speaks to his servants. At this point, Moses doesn't know God, but he will. At this point, Moses isn't a servant of God, but all of that is going to change. Think with me about this strange scene, the strange scene depicted here in Exodus chapter 3. What we find here is a story specifically about God and Moses, isn't it? But in general, it's simply a story One of many about God meeting with and speaking to a human being, someone just like us. Moses is quite distinct in the in the entire testimony of the Bible, but on another from another angle, he's just like us. He's just a a person like us. So what we, in general, this is simply that story about God meeting with and speaking to a human being. Since that is the case, maybe it can guide us this morning. Maybe it can be helpful for us this morning when it comes to meeting with and and God speaking to us let's go on that that assumption that idea let's take both of these ideas in fact the specific significance re- related to Moses uh, in this passage and the more generic significance concerning you and me and and everyone who wants to meet with and hear from God so let's go back through this story with those two ideas in mind sound good All right, so when I read through these verses, three ideas catch my attention from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. First of all, I see this. Take a look on the screen. I see, number one, wonder in light of God's revelation. Wonder in light of God's revelation. Look back at verses 1 through 3. Moses, who was, of course, of Hebrew descent was, as as Acts chapter 7 puts it, you'll see it on the screen here, Acts 7 puts it, he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter who brought him up as her own son and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. That's Acts chapter 7 verses 21 and 22. But Moses, we're told, eventually understood and embraced his own ancestry. That's what eventually happened with him. And according to Hebrews chapter 11 verses 24 and 25, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. But after killing an Egyptian taskmaster who was who was badly mistreating Hebrew slaves, Moses fled He fled, the consequences of that, and he fled east into the land of Midian where he was welcomed by a man named Jethro and even married one of Jethro's daughters. So that's where we find ourselves here, Exodus chapter 3. As we heard in verses 1 through 3, it's one day, right? We meet Moses on a particular day. And Moses, who's around 80 years old at this point. This is where some of these uh, depictions, modern depictions, kind of get it wrong. He's about 80 years old at this point. If he's... Helping Jethro, you wonder how old Jethro actually is. Is Jethro like a hundred years old at this point? You know, so the hundred-year-old telling the eighty-year-old to get out there and shepherd, check on the flocks. Uh, but I think they were in better shape than than we would be uh, back in that day at 180 today. <laughs> so Moses, who's around 80 years old, he is caring for his father-in-law's flocks, and he is moving them around, or he moves them close to a mountain called. Horeb. Now the readers know this mountain as the mountain of God. You can see the way he writes that here. The, readers, the first readers of Exodus know it as the mountain of God, or as it will later be called Mount Sinai. This is that mountain. And take a look at verse 2. As we read there in verse 2, someplace on or at the base of this mountain, Moses sees a thorn bush that's, that appears to be on fire. But incredible, incredibly, it's not burning up, right? Like wood is supposed to do. It's not burning up. It was not consumed by the flame. Stephen tells us in Acts chapter 7 in the New Testament, verse 31, that when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. Here in verse 3, Moses expresses his amazement this way. I will turn aside to see this great Sight. Why the bush is not burned? Now, as those who have been reading in the book of Genesis, that's what we've been doing, haven't we, since October. As those who have been reading in the book of Genesis, this astonishing sight should inspire a question. Why did God choose to reveal himself to Moses in this very unique way? Very interesting, right? God has certainly spoken before in the biblical record. Do you remember? Can you think of some examples of where he's spoken before? Right? He spoke to Noah. spoke to Abraham. Spoke to Hagar. Spoke to Rebecca. Spoke to Isaac. Spoke to Jacob. But never like this. Never through a burning bush or, or anything like a burning bush. So why did he reveal himself to Moses in this way? Well, hold on to that question for just a, just a minute. And think with me about, uh, about the more general significance of this scene. This is a powerful reminder for us. What a powerful reminder we have here that the place where God meets with us and speaks to us is truly great, is truly amazing. It is. Where is that place for us, though? It's not on Mount Horeb. It's not up the side of a mountain. It's not near a burning bush. That place is in the Scriptures. That's where God meets with us and speaks to us. The Scriptures. The Bible is where God wants to regularly meet with us and speak to us. For as we read in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out by God. And that's precisely why Paul told Timothy in an earlier letter, he said this, "...until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture." Right? Let the scriptures always be read, announced, declared, proclaimed in the midst of God's people. Let it be a, a, a discipline of the community that you are always under the hearing of the Word of God, always bathed in the Word, you know, the Word of God, that it's always there in your fellowship as a faith family. Why would he say this? Because that's where God meets with and speaks to his people through the scriptures. But in light of this story, it's helpful to ask yourself this question. Do I have a sense of wonder when it comes to the Bible? Do I have a sense of wonder when it comes to the Bible? At the beginning of your day or at some point in the course of your day, do you say like Moses, I will turn aside to see this great sight? As you set your agenda, as you set your focus and you set your trajectory to do what you believe you need to do and get done, probably good things, many important things. Do you say but I will turn aside. I will turn aside from this. Before any, I do anything else, I will turn aside. Or as it's come to my mind now, I'm not going to neglect this. I'm going to turn aside and I'm going to see, I'm going to go and see and un- investigate this great sight, which is the Word of God. If you're like me, brothers and sisters, then you struggle against temptations every day maybe to take the Bible for granted. Is that you? That's me. So easy to take the Bible for granted. Or at at, at at least to see it as less wondrous than it really is. To think of it in more mundane terms than truly what it, it, it is to us. To be clear... Temptations like that, to to see the Word of God like that, temptations like that may not make you less committed or less devoted to Scripture. That's where it gets confusing sometimes. We think, well, I'm I'm committed to Scripture. I'm devoted to Scripture. Uh, No, I may not always see it with kind of a sense of wonder, but I'm committed to it. But sometimes that devotion to Scripture, if we really think about it, it's comparable to... A math textbook or maybe uh, I, an Ikea instruction manual, right? What, what do I mean by that? I mean that our devotion to the word is driven simply by the problem-solving power of the Bible. We're looking for some answer, right? We're looking to figure out some, some issue in our life and get the problem figured out. Or we're, we're looking, uh, we're, we want it to help us build something useful, like an Ikea instruction manual, right? We want to build something useful. And so we come with kind of this overly practical, utilitarian view to to the word of God. But even though God's revelation to us doesn't glow with heavenly fire, if yours does, please let me know. I'd like to come over and take a look at it. Even though God's revelation to us does not glow with heavenly fire, even though it is preserved on paper and bound with leather or cardboard, I think this passage is still a great reminder that God wants us to see the Bible for the miracle that it is. Miraculous. Miraculous. Not only are its origins miraculous, not only is its preservation over thousands of years miraculous, but when we see it with spiritual eyes, we, we understand that its content is miraculous, isn't it? Its content is miraculous. We understand that it too is a fire that burns bright, but will not consume us. Praise God. That's what we find in the scriptures. Our devotion to scripture should ultimately be driven by one reality. Not because it's great literature. Not because you grew up in a home where there was traditions that honored the Bible. Not because it speaks to this or that issue that you're wondering about. It is there that we hear the great And the amazing voice of God. That's where you hear the voice of God. That's what should drive us to Scripture. Even now, in the quietness of your heart, friend, ask God to help you see, help you recapture the wonder of His Word, to truly see it for the miracle that it is. Speaking of content, this passage also reveals something about, number two, wisdom in light of God's revelation. When we think about this story of Moses, we think we, we see wisdom in light of God's revelation. Now, when I say wisdom, I'm using the term just in, as, a, as a synonym of insight. Moses receives insight, doesn't he, from this meeting with God. So consider the insight provided here through the burning bush. What does God tell Moses? Well, explicitly, God reveals himself to Moses in verse 6. This is the first place where he really identifies himself. He says, I am the God of your father. Not fathers, father. And we know that he's not talking about anybody in the Egyptian courts. He's talking about his Moses Hebrew father. I am the God of your father, who is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, read on there in verse 6, and you'll see Moses' reaction to this revelation. Do you see it? Based on Moses' reaction in verse verse 6, it's safe to assume that he did, at this point, know something about the history of his people. He knew something about the God of his forefathers it's safe to assume that he knew something about God calling Abraham, about the covenant made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, about the land of Canaan, and about Joseph's destiny that led him to Egypt. I think he understood some of these things. So the declaration in verse 6 would have been incredibly important for Moses in terms of helping him discover his place in the unfolding purposes of God. That might be part of the reaction that he has here to God's revelation through the burning bush. But when it comes to what God reveals in this passage here and in this chapter as a whole, let me go back to an earlier question that I asked. Why did God choose to reveal himself to Moses in this unique way? Do you have any answers in your head? Why did he choose this unique way to reveal himself to Moses? Why a burning bush? Well, first of all, the presence of fire accompanying the presence of God is not unusual. right? We're going to see it more and more coming up. But even before, in Genesis chapter 15, God appeared to Abraham, it says, as a flaming torch. A flaming torch. And when the Hebrews finally leave Egypt, as they're going to do in just a few chapters from chapter 13, as you move into, sorry, chapter 3, as you move into chapter 13 and 14, as they are leaving Egypt, God will go with them by night as what? A pillar of fire. A pillar of fire. In fact, on this very same mountain, the fire that first appeared to Moses around a burning bush will eventually consume the entire mountain. When the descendants of Jacob, the descendants of Israel, the children of Israel will arrive at that mountain. Take a look at a a couple of verses. Look at what it tells us. Chapter 19, verse 18. Now Mount Sinai, that's Horeb, was wrapped in smoke because Yahweh had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. You know where you fire pottery. The smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. A few chapters later, in chapter 24, verse 17, it says this, Now the appearance of the glory of Yahweh was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Here's the burning. Here's the fire. So, what do we learn there from even that last verse? Chapter 24, verse 17. This fire... Was a manifestation of God's glory. It was a manifestation of God's glory, but again, why was it localized around a thorn bush here in Exodus chapter three? I think the image God presented to Moses here in this cha- in the chapter three is connected with that burning bush. Is connected with. The explicit revelation that he'll go on to provide in verses 13 through 15 of chapter 3. Look down with me. Chapter 3 verses 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel. Remember, this is his commissioning to lead the people. Right to serve God in that way for the sake of their redemption, their emancipation, their deliverance from Egypt, Egyptian slavery. If I come, says Moses, to the people of Israel, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, that is Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all Generations. So here's the connection. Could it be that the blazing bush that is never consumed was a picture for Moses of the God who always is? Let me say that again. Could it be that the blazing bush that Moses saw that's never consumed... Was a picture for him and us of the God who always is. He is not the God who was. That is, who was only at work long ago with Moses' ancestors, with the fathers, the patriarchs, with the, with the ancestors of the Israelites. No, he continues to be what he was then. The God who is. I am. He always is. No change doesn't cease to be in any way the always existing one though memory of him might be consumed by forgetful generations like the bush itself he never ceases to exist and so he he is present with Moses as the one who is and he will be present for his people as the one who is in that moment of their need in that place of their bondage he is He's not simply a distant memory of generations prior. And so he gives the name Yahweh, which is related to the verbs used here for I am, I exist, Yiveh, right? Yahweh, Yiveh. It's God saying, this is my name, because my name in the Old Testament names represented the essence It communicates something about the nature of who was being revealed there. And God says, I am the eternally existing one. I am Yahweh. Therefore the name shall be remembered throughout all generations. My name forever. The God who is right now, who is present. And so he is present with Moses. He will be present with the people of Israel in their moment of need. Brothers and sisters, when God meets with and speaks to us in the Scriptures, not only is His main goal, anytime you're in the Word, His main goal for you is to reveal Himself to you, but more specifically, to reveal Himself to you as the God who is now, presently, The God who is present to speak. The God who is present to save. The God who is present to be known by you. This means the very best thing you can ask for from the Bible is to know God better. Anytime you listen to it, anytime you crack its pages, when you st- sit down to read or study, simply ask God, help me to know your, know you better. Reveal yourself to me. First mentally, then relationally. That is, help me to know about you, but help me ultimately to know you. Because that's what God wants for you. That's the point of His revelation. Not to guide, just guide your moral compass or answer some questions you had about such and such. That's fine, but our ultimate aim is always to know God. What did Jesus say? This is eternal life. That they know you, Father, and the one whom you have sent, Jesus Christ. John chapter 17. Our burning bush, our burning bush is glorious because God, our creator, our sustainer, is revealed in its pages. Amen? That's why it's glorious. Whenever you read, whenever you hear the Word, listen for His voice. Listen for His voice. Seek Him even now in light of the light of Scripture. And this brings us to one more observation about this passage. Notice here that number three... Notice here, worship in light of God's revelation. There's worship in light of God's revelation through the burning bush. The very first thing God reveals to Moses after calling his name is is this appropriate response. Here is an appropriate response to the divine to the divine presence. Do you see it there in verse five? Then God said, "Do not come near. Stay where you are. Take off your sandals. Take them off of your feet." For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now what does that mean? What's going on here? I think this is a symbolic way. Because God at this point is launching into a whole program of symbolism that will become more and more clear to them in terms of the tabernacle, all of the sacrifices, the purity of the priests who are offering the sacrifices... All of these things, the Passover, all of it was these teaching symbols, these teaching devices. And I think this is the same idea. It's a symbolic way here of talking about the impurity that we as sinners can track into a place of divine purity. We're always tracking in like muddy footprints. We are tracking in our sin. We are tracking in our impurity. God says, take off your sandals. We also see in verse 6 that God's revelation to Moses as the God of his forefathers leads Moses to do what? To hide his face out of fear because of the divine presence. Isn't it interesting how 30 chapters from this chapter, Moses is asking for the exact opposite. Isn't that interesting? Chapter 33, show me your glory. I want to see you. And God says, you can't see my face. For no one can see my face and live. I'll show you my back. This is the language he's using to accommodate, right? To help Moses understand what his feeble mind can understand. (laughs) I'll show you my back. I'll, I'll reveal my glory to you. 30 chapters later, the change is incredible, isn't it? I think that's a powerful indicator of how Moses has come to know God more fully. He's grown in his faith over the last 30 chapters. And brothers and sisters, may that be true of each one of us. May we grow in our faith, right? May we grow in these same ways. But let's not miss the important reminder here. When we come to that place where God meets with and speaks to us, That is, when we come to the Scriptures, let us not come hastily or carelessly. Let us not track in our own impure agenda. Help us not to come with simply an academic or mechanical mindset to the miraculous Word of God. No, let us come with reverence and awe. Amen? Let us come with reverence and awe the very thing pictured for us here in this passage. For a holy God is present there with us when we open the Scriptures. A holy God is speaking to us. His God-breathed Word. As Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 expresses it, for the Word of God is living and active. It's living and active. It was breathed out and inscripturated But when we read it, it is living and active as the voice of God to us. Thus, in light of this passage, Isaiah 66, verse 2, encourages us about this very same attitude of awe. God says, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble. She who is contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Is that who you want to be? One who trembles at the word of God. It's who I want to be. By the grace of God. Only by the grace of God is this possible, isn't it? Moses pictures this for us. These are, these are reminders to us. So brothers and sisters, whenever you interact with God's word. Whether it's before you read. Right in the, in the morning or you're sitting down in the evening with the Word of God, whether it's before you listen to the message on Sunday morning, ask God to help you to see the wonder of His Word, to gain that wisdom of His self-revelation in the Word and to inspire in you the worship that should always characterize our response to what God has revealed. That's what we see here. But please, please remember this. Please remember that this ideal, and this is the ideal, right? This is your, this should be your ideal. It should be my ideal. I want to come to your word in this very way, God. Teach me and help me in this way. Please remember this. This ideal doesn't change the grace that is always available to us when our response is less than ideal. Would you keep that in mind, please? Would you hold on to that? That when you come with a less than ideal attitude or mindset to God's word, it doesn't change the grace that is available to you. On so many occasions, your experience with the Bible will not resemble what Moses experienced here with the burning bush. Right You're not going to walk away from your time going, oh, and your face is glowing or whatever. That doesn't happen here. It happens later. But you can imagine how jarred like it just Moses was probably on Cloud nine. He was just a, a mix of emotions after meeting with God in that way. Sometimes you will walk away from your time in the word like that. other times you will not. It just won't happen that way. That's not because of the bush, quote-unquote, of, of God, right? That's not because the place where He reveals Himself. Something about the Scriptures. It's not anything about the God who reveals Himself there. That's because of our own struggles. When you have a less than ideal experience with the Word of God, it's because of you. It's because of us as human beings. Our own struggles, our own distractions, our own stubbornness, our own wavering hearts. But when that happens, please don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. That reality of a wonderlessness, that that reality of wonderlessness or worshiplessness shouldn't deter us from developing the discipline of regularly going to the Word. Does this make sense? That's a discipline that's rooted. It should be a discipline rooted in you because of what you believe on your best days, not your worst. And what you believe on your best days should be what Scripture says here, that Scripture really is revelation of and from the God who is. If you believe that on your best days, your strongest days of faith, then discipline yourself for godliness, as Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Discipline yourself for godliness for all those days as you, when, you, when you're going to struggle. Put yourself there at Mount Horeb on those days. Climb up to the bush on those days. Be there on those days. You see, the grace that is always available to us when our response to God's revelation is less than ideal, that grace is ours because of what God revealed to Moses about himself. And what did God reveal to Moses about himself in this chapter? Well, if we were to read forward, we would find this, that he is both the initiator and the finisher of an incredibly powerful rescue. That's who he is. The God who rescues. The God who delivers. And as we know from the New Testament, what God accomplished through this shepherd, Moses, was ultimately a shadow of what he would accomplish through the good shepherd, capital G, capital S, that is Jesus. What did Jesus say? Moses, you would believe, if you, if you read Moses, you would believe in me because Moses wrote about me. Moses pointed to me, John chapter 5. Mo- Moses directed your attention to me. How wonderful that Jesus was both the ultimate shepherd and then according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7, he is our Passover lamb. The good shepherd and he is our Passover lamb. How wonderful that the deliverance God speaks about in Exodus chapter 3 verse 8 points us to the deliverance that Christ would eventually bring. That is, emancipation from not chains in Egypt, but emancipation from the bondage of sin. Hallelujah. Therefore, even when even when we ignore God's burning bush, and we do, and we seek light from other sources, and we do, or when we offer a tepid response to the wonder and the wisdom of His precious Word, when that happens, don't be discouraged. We can rest in the fact that the Word, capital W, the Word Himself died for warped worshipers like us. He stood in our place. And He suffered on the cross. He rose from the dead so that we could really see the wonder of God. Right? That's why He he gave us those eyes through His death. He, He died so that we can receive the wisdom God has made known through His Word. This insight revealing Himself. He died so that we can worship in spirit and truth in light of His gracious revelation to us. If the fire of the burning bush was a revelation of God's own glory, then Jesus Christ is the ultimate burning bush, isn't He? He's the ultimate burning bush, for God has, look at this, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what's made known to us. Glory there. Who is the Divine Son, He is, take a look, He is the radiance of the glory of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus Christ is the ultimate burning bush and we know Him. Why? Because He is the Savior who is. He is the Lord who is. He is the Good Shepherd who is. What did He tell His detractors before Abraham was, I am. I am. Therefore, friend, receive the word today. If you don't know Christ in this way and God through Christ, receive the word today. Behold its wonder. Believe its wisdom. Brother and sister in Christ, let us give thanks for God's revelation to Moses in this chapter. This chapter reflecting history that God revealed himself to Moses in this way. Let us give thanks, but let us also learn from this story about the place where God meets with and speaks to his servant. That's you, and that's me. And let us take those lessons with us into the world. Let us take those lessons with us to the Word first of God every single day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and give thanks for this passage and for the Word of God.